The title of today's message is Resurrection Revolution. Resurrection Revolution. What are we to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, saints? What are we to do about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters? Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, born of the Virgin Mary without sin, died for sinners upon a cruel Roman cross. He suffered the full, undiluted wrath, unmitigated wrath of the Father for all sinners that come to Him, repenting, confessing Him as Lord. He died. He paid their debt in full. He pronounced to tell us die. He bowed His head, His holy, marred, pierced, and bloody brow, and gave up His spirit. He was buried, and on the third day, in accordance with prophetic scripture, in accordance with his own often repeated promise, he rose again, as he said. Conquering sin, conquering Satan, conquering death forevermore. That's called the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. Those who believe it are saved by it. Those who believe it are born again from above. They have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. They have been given the spiritual gifts of repentance and faith. They have confessed Christ as Lord. They are washed with the blood of the Lamb. Their sins are forgiven. They are removed as far as the east is from the west. There is now therefore no condemnation for them. There is none left. For Christ has taken it all on their behalf. Heaven has forever been open to them. They are made, the Bible calls, pillars, pillars in heaven. Permanent residence in heaven. Hell has forever been closed to them. For Christ has taken hell's wrath on their behalf. They will never know God's wrath. For Jesus has drained the cup of indignation. They will ever and only know the fullness of God's unmitigated love. They are children of God right now and forevermore. And nothing and no one will ever change that. Now what? I mean, some of you, you young ones, have a long life yet to live. We trust What are you going to do with it? In the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what are you going to do with your one precious life in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Some of you are old. Let's not beat around the bush. What are you going to do with your few remaining years? I'm well over the hill myself. Barring some amazing plan of God that I don't know I would be too excited about with the aches and pains ever increasing year by year. So what are we going to do with this brief time that we have left? We who are over the hill, you or her, nearing the hill. What will you do with those precious years you have left? What will you do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of us, young and old, may only have a few hours, days, weeks, months, or years left to live. Will your life be a stepping stone to glory for those behind you? Or will your life and testimony fall flat? 
What are you going to do about the resurrection of Jesus Christ with the brief remaining time you have before you stand before him in eternity? The resurrection of Jesus Christ has eternally saved us, praise God. Now what are we going to do about it with the remaining time, breath, strength, resources, and energy we have? Barring a sewer emergency. What do I mean? I mean, the best laid plans go awry. You may be planning in months ahead, in years ahead, post-retirement or some future stage of life. You may be planning on doing something for Jesus. Our plans are subject to change. Have you not realized that? I realized it just yesterday as a sewage emergency erupted in my home. We had planned to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the greater Portland area to the glory of God for the redemption of sinners. We prayed accordingly, studied accordingly, and the Lord had other plans for that particular day according to his own perfect providence. And I trust his plan. But here's what I know. Well, we have many plans, and within them should be the plan to make Jesus' name great in the earth. We often plan to do that last. That's later in the list. It's later in the list. We plan to have an education. We plan to have a career. We plan to have a home. We plan to get our cars paid off. We plan to retire. We plan to garden. We, we plan to be fit and healthy. We make a lot of plans. But dear saints, post-salvation, the only reason you're here, the only reason you're left on this planet is to make much to do about Jesus Christ and His resurrection. To make much to do about the gospel of Jesus Christ. To call other sinners to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. What is our plan for that? We need to pray toward, study toward, and walk toward perishing sinners with the gospel of Jesus Christ and plan accordingly. Knowing that our days are limited. Our days are limited to speak to our children. Our days are limited to speak to our grandchildren. Our days are limited to speak to our coworkers, for they may die. You assume that coworker is going to show up tomorrow. You assume wrongly. They may be fired. They may quit. They may be dead. You assume your friends and family will be around yet another month, yet another year. And yet we are all frail, and the wage of sin is which is death, is upon us all. And it comes when we least expect it. And so what are we going to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? In Luke 24, verses 1-53, through we find the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and His command to proclaim His resurrection, to do something with His glorious resurrection. Luke 24, verses 1-53. through 53. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, why do we meet on the Lord's day? It's the first day of the week, the day our Lord and Savior rose again. This is not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday. We're not keeping the Sabbath. This is not the new Sabbath. The Roman Catholic Church did not change the Sabbath. God established the Sabbath. And we are Sabbath keepers in Christ Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone, 24-7. We are not keeping a Sabbath day. This is the Lord's day. 
That we've come to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. We've come to worship our Lord and Savior on the Lord's Day as we do every Lord's Day. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. What did they come to the tomb to do? Embalm the body with the spices they had prepared. Were they coming expecting Jesus to be resurrected? No, they were not. Did the prophecies foretell his resurrection? Yes, they did. Did Jesus not prophetically foretell his own resurrection? Yes, he did repeatedly. And yet they came because death is so real. Death is so powerful. Death is so permanent to our minds. But death is just the entrance to eternity. And for Jesus Christ, who is life, death has no power over him, no sway. He's the conqueror of death. So they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise. Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? Did he not say? Let me remind you, the angel says. (laughs) He told you he would come, he would suffer, he would die, he would rise again on the third day. And he has risen. Verse 8, And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Oh, saints, the apostles who spent three and some years with the Lord Jesus Christ Witnessing his miracles firsthand day by day. Witnessing him raise the dead. Witnessing him heal the leper and the lame. Witnessing him walking on water. Witnessing him speaking to the Father and Moses and Elijah at the Mount of Transfiguration. And yet, they cannot believe these women that behold, the stone was rolled away, his body was gone, and an angel said, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? Do you not recall? He said he would suffer, die, and rise again the third day. And yet the apostles don't believe. Oh, saints, we're frail. We are frail, foolish, and left to ourselves, unbelieving, unbelieving. And the things that we experience in this world become truths to us that overcome the truth of God that we know to be certain and absolute, but this material world and the experiences that we endure in it sometimes overcome our senses. Should the apostles have been overcome by their visceral experience of the Lord Jesus' death upon that cross? No, they should not have. They should have been giddy with excitement, waiting on the third day at the tomb, beholding the stone rolling away and the Lord Jesus emerging therefrom. But they were utterly disillusioned. They lost all hope. And even when they heard testimony of the resurrection from the women from an angel, they did not believe it. They supposed it was idle tale. 
Now that should, one, humble you in your own character and nature, and two, encourage you that if by the grace of God you are in Christ Jesus, holding fast to Him in faith, that He is the author and the finisher of your salvation, and He'll not let you go. And while you may get daunted and you may fall back for a season in life or two, by the grace of God, you will get back up and you will press on and you will endure as the apostles did before you. Verse 12, But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Peter ran to the tomb. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the grave clothes lying there. And he marveled to himself at what had happened. He still did not believe. He didn't didn't praise God for the resurrection of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He didn't go immediately and tell all that Jesus is risen. No, he marveled. He marveled. And again, that's a testimony to the powerful nature of death. When we see death, it seems so permanent, but that's a lie. Again, death is the entrance into eternity, and there will be a resurrection both of the righteous and the damned. The righteous will live forever in a body fit for heaven, fit for glory, under the love of God forever, and the damned will live forever in a body fit for hell, where the flame is not quenched and the worm does not die. We are created in God's image, and thus we have eternality as part of our nature. We will live, exist forever, either perpetually dying under judgment or perpetually made alive through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he left the tomb, marveling to himself at what had happened. Verse 13, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went up with them, but their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have not known the things which happened there in these last days? I mean, this was front page news, right? This was CNN, you know, if it, if it bleeds, it leads. Well, the Lord Jesus bled and they were glad and he was dead and they were glad. This, this little insurrection against the Sadducees and Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the ruling class of Israel, and the would-be insurrection as they accuse Jesus of being an insurrectionist against Rome. The insurrection is over. The insurrectionist has been put down. He's dead. That's what they're talking about. That's why they are sad. Their eyes are restrained. They do not behold Jesus for himself. And he asked them, why they're sad. And they say, do you not know? Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened in these days? Verse 19, and he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, 
who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and, a certain, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now they're walking along sad, and they've got the whole story, right? They, they, they've got Jesus' ministry. They, they've got Jesus as a mighty prophet of God. They've got him crucified. They've got him buried. They, they've got the women's testimony, the angels' testimony, and Peter and John's testimony, and yet they are still, what is their emotional status, their, their emoji on their Facebook page? Sad. Sad. So are they believing he's risen again? No, because you'd be very much glad, overjoyed, overcome with rapture. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. And he's conquered sin and death on our behalf. No, they're sad because they're still disbelieving. They're sad. Verse 25, then he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, thus he rebukes their sadness, he rebukes their unbelief, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Oh, saints, some of us are moping about as if Jesus is dead. You know, many go to church on Easter as if Jesus is still dead, as if they're going to a funeral. He's alive. He lives, and he's coming again. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Saints, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Beginning to end, it's all about Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus declared himself from Genesis through the prophets to them. Verse 28, Then they drew near to a village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, for the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. What an experience that was. And what a gracious Savior we have. I mean, over and over and over again, he puts his grace on display to his disciples and thus to you and I as well. Unbelieving, despite the glorious reality that's right before their eyes. Verse 32, Then they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? By the way, that's, that's a good burning in the bosom unlike the Mormon burning in the bosom. When the Scriptures are open to you and you're burning with conviction from the Scripture, that's a good burning in your bosom. The Mormons always revert to a burning in the bosom to deny Scripture. This is a great Scripture to take the Mormons to. 
Verse 33, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And so they now are rejoicing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They are now celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They are now united together in this glad and glorious experience of Jesus conquering sin and death on their behalf. Verse 35, And they told about the things that happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. And here you just kind of want to, you know, thump your head on something. But they were terrified and suppose they'd seen a spirit. Again, it just it tells you how, how we are compelled by our experiences over and above the truth of God that we know, even in the midst of celebrating the truth of God that we know, He is risen! Oh, oh there He is. Oh, it must be a ghost! Screams of terror are, are reasonable. No, He is risen the bodily resurrection of the Lord, right? He deliberately ate with the disciples repeatedly. He deliberately had them feel him, his flesh. He rose from the grave bodily. He was no ghost. He was no spirit. Verse 38, And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Again, the Lord corrects their response as a response of doubt, not a response of faith, not a response congruent with their uh, recent exclamation that He has risen indeed. And, and we, we have all, just this morning, said He has risen indeed. And then there will be things in our lives, behaviors and emotions that are not congruous with that statement. He has risen indeed. And then we're going to go feel all Sad and downcast, oh my soul. And then we're going to spend so much of our lives on things that are passing away. And we're going to fail to plan to make much to do about the resurrection with the brief time that we have. We're going to put it off. Because there's a life to be lived. And I want you to live your life. I, I want you to have fun in this world that God created to be enjoyed with the things He created you to enjoy, but I want you to make much of the Savior because you have one life to live, one opportunity to make much of the Savior that others would be saved, that their eternal souls would be rescued, and that you would one day hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and that you would go into eternity with a great many being there with you because of the testimony of your own life and voice, because you labored for the glory of God, the redemption of sinners, because you believed that He has risen indeed. And that changed everything. That changed everything. And so you had to tell the world. You considered the cost. And you pressed on for the glory of Christ in the redemption of sinners. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see. By the way, if anyone 
rejects the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, but claims to believe in a resurrected Jesus, they're not a Christian. That is a sub-Christian position. Verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, but while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. The Lord Jesus condescended to minister the Word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And we so often think we're smarter than Jesus. We'll just tell them our testimony. We'll just try to convince them through reason and logic. We'll try to show them that the the Christian life is the fun life. Christianity is your best life now. In reality, according to the Scriptures, clearly, Christianity is your best life later. Quite clearly. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And so the Lord Jesus ministered the Word of God. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. The Scriptures that He was declaring to them through Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, all concerning himself. Verse 46, then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Power for what? You are witnesses, and you shall be my witnesses. And you tarry in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Power to be his witnesses. Not power to flop and drop and have gold teeth pop into your head and to bark like dogs and speak in unknown languages that edify no one, like clanging cymbals and resounding gongs. No power to proclaim Jesus. Power to proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection. And hear me, without his resurrection, his death and burial are meaningless. Just another man that died. Just another man, one of thousands, if not millions, who were crucified by the Romans. Up from the grave he arose. Luke 24, verse 50, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up to heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Finally, they get it. Finally, they're worshipping. They're praising. They're exuberant. They're excited. This is magnificent. This changes everything. Everything. C.H. Spurgeon said this, The world is dying. The graves are filling. Hell is boasting. And yet you have the gospel. Can it be that you do not care to win souls? Do not care whether men are damned or saved? The Lord wake us from this stony-hearted barbarity to our fellow men and make us yearn over them, care about them, pray about them, and work for them till the Lord shall arise and send forth labors into His harvest. Amen. The Lord Jesus, the creator of the heavens and the earth, 
condescended to enter into his creation through the womb of the Virgin Mary, born among sinners in the likeness of sinners, and yet without sin, so that he, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, could be crucified, lay down his life for sinners, take the curse of sin, which is death, take the wrath of the Almighty, eternity's wrath, and die on that cross to then rise again, conquering death, to then ascend, to sit at the right hand of the Father as the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And he commands us, this Jesus, our Jesus, the only Jesus there is, our King, our Master, our Savior, commands that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations. And yet so much of the church refuses to do so, fails to do so, finds infinite reasons to do so. They plan this and they plan that in Jesus' name and just in their own name, according to their own purposes. But there is so little planning and so little praying and so little studying and so little going, therefore, to make disciples to preach repentance to all nations, to preach repentance. There's never been a greater need to preach repentance. I've been preaching this a long time now, but there's never been a greater need to preach repentance than there is today. And today, preaching repentance will cost you far more than it would have a month ago. Cost you far more than it would have a year ago. Far, far more than it would have 10 years ago when a great many would still applaud you and think, well, that's a nice Christian. He's at least well-meaning, but you know... We don't need your Jesus. Thank you. No. We have so, so criminally rejected Christ's great commission. We've gone so far past making it a non-great commission to an optional commission, to a non-commission, to a shameful commission that now the gospel itself, Jesus himself, God himself, the Bible itself, Christianity itself is shameful in the eyes of men. Sin is boasted, the worst sin, the most grievous sin. It's boasted, it's promoted, it's funded, it's legalized, it's legislated, and that's on us. Because we're like the disciples, unbelieving, sad, distracted, caught up in the tangible things of this world that seem more real than the reality of Holy Scripture, the eternal, inspired, inerrant, preserved, authoritative truth of God. And there's a truth war on like never before. The liar, the liar, Satan, the master of lies, the king of lies, the great deceiver, isn't just deceiving the world, he's deceiving the church. And now we're on the retreat. We were at least holding our ground, but now we're on the retreat. The great apostasy has begun. And we need to advance as to war. We need to pray that God would fill us with His Spirit. We need to study the Spirit-inspired Word, study to show ourselves approved, and go, therefore, to fight a good fight. That's why in Sunday school we're studying creation. Why? Because that's the foundation, the holy creator God that you're subject to as a man or a woman. And we've gone so far in our rebellion against God that now those realities 
are absurdities. And you'll be mocked openly for claiming the basic realities of man and woman. Oh, there's a cost for apathy. There's a cost for ignoring the Great Commission. There's a cost for stony-hearted barbarity to our fellow men, as C.H. Spurgeon put it. And we're just beginning to pay that price. And the price will get higher and higher. But the greatest price, the greatest price, if indeed we're truly in Christ, the greatest price will not be the loss of our salvation or the loss of our freedom or the loss of our property, the loss of our bright and shining retirement or the loss of, of the fun things we like to do. The greatest loss will be the day we stand before the Lord and we're saved as through fire with so much of our life being in the category of worthless deeds or worse that's burned up rather than hearing well done good and faithful do loss slave blood bought slave of God so what did the disciples do They were disillusioned, they were sad, they were unbelieving, they were marveling. And then they're worshiping. They're continually in the temple, praising and blessing God at the end of chapter 24. So what happens then? Well, Acts chapter 1 is what happens then. It's Luke's gospel. Now this is Luke's account of the early church. Acts chapter 1 is what happens. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit like Jesus told them. Then they're baptized with the Holy Spirit like Jesus told them they would be. And then they have the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, the power of the Holy Spirit is not to flop and drop and have gold teeth popping and pixie dust coming out of vents. It's none of that foolishness. It's to magnify Christ. It's to preach Christ in known languages and unknown languages, unknown to you. It's a great missionary gift, but known to the people who are hearing you. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also represented himself or presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking to the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, They asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, for those that are looking to establish the theonomic kingdom of God on the earth now, I might say that Jesus seemed to slight the kingdom a little bit there. He seemed to sidestep the kingdom a little bit and say, you know what? How about this? How about you focus on this? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Let Jesus worry about his kingdom. (laughs) The king will come when the king's ready to come and his kingdom will come with him. 
Until then, we are kingdom builders in the earth, saying, Thy kingdom come, meaning Jesus return and rule and reign forever. But also thy kingdom come, O Jesus, might you rule and reign in the hearts of men and women through repentance and faith, as faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so the focus was always on being my witnesses, on proclaiming the gospel, ministering the gospel, not in establishing the theocratic kingdom in the earth so he can return and getting all the laws just right and trying to bring those laws into effect in various governments of the earth around the globe all to fabricate the perfect scenario for the Lord Jesus to return. No, rather you shall wait for the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit comes, you shall be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. Do you want to know if you're full of the Holy Spirit? You want to know if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit? Some of our charismatic neighbors around here, they're all about being baptized. You haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, they'd say. Why? Because you don't. Speak in tongues. That's what the Foursquare teaches. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's various positions on that. But what, what's the big deal about being baptized in the Holy Spirit? You shall be my witnesses. That's what's the big deal about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, you shall be my witnesses. Do you want to know if you're full of the Spirit? Whatever you see in Acts, the Lord saying they were full of the Holy Spirit, what are they doing? They're making much to do about Jesus and His resurrection. Much to do about Jesus and His gospel. Are we living carnal lives in the flesh or spirit-empowered lives? What are we doing with the gospel? That's the answer to that question, or those two questions. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it says, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether the number of names was about 120. And he said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong. He burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out and became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language, Akel Damah, that is field of blood. For it was written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. One of these men must become a witness with us of his resurrection. What was their primary message? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because upon the colossal truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christianity stands or falls. That is the foundation of our faith. For if he did not rise, he was not God in flesh. If he did not rise, he is not the Savior. If he did not rise, go to your local synagogue or return to Israel and wait for the Messiah to come. If he did not rise, the New Testament is a fiction. The Old Testament would still stand. Go be Old Testament Jews. Fight a good fight. Stand with Israel against all comers, all takers, and wait for the king to come. But he rose again, saints. Up from the grave, he arose. He is risen indeed. And thus, 
The Gospels are true. The New Testament is true. And Revelation is true. The King of kings and Lord of lords is coming again. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. Oh, saints, this is the heart of our faith. This was the heart of their message as apostles. It's the heart of our message. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, we find Peter's Holy Spirit-empowered resurrection message at Pentecost. Acts 22, or verse 2, excuse me, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Not possible. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. We're talking resurrection here. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he's both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus... God has raised up of which we are witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. In verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And verse 40 ends with that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 souls through the Holy Spirit-empowered preaching of the resurrected Savior. From none to 120 to 3,000 souls. Acts chapter 3, we see Peter's Holy Spirit-empowered resurrection preaching at Solomon's porch. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. Now as the lame man was healed, held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Always, always and evermore, the heart of their preaching is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But notice that Peter, twice over now, goes for their jugular. He goes for their heart. He holds them accountable for their sin. He exposes their sin. And for this particular population, Their great sin was their crucifixion of the Savior, their rejection of their King. And so he exposes their great sin and calls them to repent and believe upon the great Savior whom God raised from the dead. Acts chapter 3 verse 26, To you first, God, having raised up His servant Jesus, sent Him to bless you, turning away every one of you from your iniquities. And so he's continually preaching against sin, exposing sin, sometimes sin in particular, and sometimes sin in general, but calling all sinners to repent and believe upon the resurrected Jesus Christ for salvation. Acts chapter 4, we find Peter's Holy Spirit-empowered resurrection preaching before the Sanhedrin, the ruling class, and we may have our day to stand before the Sanhedrin, our God-hating government. Acts 4, verse 1. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed. They taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Our culture and those in authority that our culture has called to represent them, they are more and more of the disposition to be greatly disturbed by the preaching of God's Word. And our job is to greatly disturb them. That's our job. Our job is not to make peace, peace, where there can be no peace. Our job is not to be the most popular of men or women. Our job is not to be the most tolerant, to hand out the most tolerance bumper stickers, or to be nice. Our job is to be faithful witnesses of the one true God, His holy law, His holy Son, His death, His burial, and His glorious resurrection. And to warn them that without Repentance and faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ, they will perish in their sins. For God is a just judge and angry with the wicked every day. So being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. And so they were greatly disturbed. They laid hands on them. They arrested them. And yet the gospel marched on. The good news, the resurrected Savior marched on. And the number of Christians came to be about 5,000. Verse 5. It came to pass the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many of, as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together in Jerusalem. And when they had Set in the midst, when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? 
What authority do you have to do this, to preach this? Why are you defying our authority? You see, Christ has put us at odds with the authorities of this world. When he suffered, died, and rose again, he said this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Why did he precede the first statement, or the second statement with the first statement? Why did he begin with all authority? Because as he sends us to declare him and call all to follow him, to submit to him, to be disciples of Jesus, he knows he's setting us up against the authorities of this earth. And there is a united global authority today called atheism. All these various governments, they're atheistic governments. All this so-called science, it's atheistic science. They've united together against God and His Christ. And they've set up government as God. And prophet, priest, and king Fauci put that on display. Government is God. And prophet Fauci will tell you how then to live. But there are a great many others telling you then how you should live and how you will live and what you can say and what you can't say and where you can say it. And they're showing themselves to be lawless. Not subject to God. They won't be subject to the Word of God, nor will they be subject to the Constitution built upon the biblical worldview. And therefore lawlessness prevails in our land. Every man doing his right in his own eyes. And so they called... Peter stand before him, and they said, Why do you do this? What gives you the authority? By what power, by what name have you done this? Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which is rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Whom God raised from the dead. He said there in verse 10, this Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, is the only Savior. He's the only Savior. Why were they being judged? They were being judged for a good deed. They were being judged for healing a man. You'll be judged for the good deed of proclaiming the gospel. You'll be judged for the good deed of upholding God's design of two genders and God's design of marriage and God's design of sexuality for marriage, for procreation and the celebration of that marriage union. You'll be judged for daring to warn men of judgment for their sins. You'll be judged in the court of popular opinion. And unless things change, you'll be judged in man's civil court drug before the magistrates. And they'll ask, by what authority? And you'll say, by the authority of King Jesus. Your King, my King, the King. King of the cosmos, King of you, King of me, King of everything. To whom you will bend your knee. And you will confess Him as Lord. But I warn you, If you will not bend your knee and confess Him as Lord in life, 
and receive him thus as your Savior. You will bend your knee and confess him as Lord in death and receive him as your judge. He is the judge, and he is a just judge, unlike you, in these kangaroo courts of men as they have been made to be, calling evil good and good evil more and more frequently. And so there's precedence for this, and we need to look to it and understand it and be ready to follow Jesus and follow the example of Peter. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, you need to pray for boldness. Pray for me to be bold. As Paul asked the church to pray for him, pray that I be bold as I ought to be bold. He was under arrest asking for the church to pray for him to be bold as he ought to be bold. Oh, pray for me and pray for one another and pray for the church universal that we would be bold in the gospel of Jesus Christ as we ought to be bold because that's the testimony, that's the substance of things not seen that Hebrews 11 speaks of. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. They marveled. Now it was Peter, John, and the rest of the apostles marveling. But now that they're utterly convinced of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they've got the world marveling. Are we still marveling? Or have we become so convinced and so Holy Spirit empowered that our witness is so clear and profound and unbudging and so bold that the world is marveling? The world is marveling at this, thinking on this, pondering this. Well-delivered, well-reasoned declaration of our faith. So they're marveling. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. You want people to marvel and realize you've been with Jesus. This guy, this girl, this man, this woman, they know Jesus. They're not budging off of Jesus. They're not budging off the resurrected Jesus. They're not budging off of Jesus being our creator and lawgiver. Verse 14. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside or aside out of the council, they conferred amongst themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Oh, there are some severe threatenings forming right now. Our Canadian brethren are being severely threatened right now. It's not written into law yet, but it's written, and it's the proposed law of the land, that if you are guilty of so-called hate speech against homosexuality or transgender, that you will be imprisoned and you'll be fined. Great fine. And there, there are already court cases, such as the Sweet Cakes case, right here in our own fair city, that show us their willingness to carry out such decrees, whether they're laws or not. And so the handwriting is on the wall for the future that is ahead of us. But if we would like to avoid that future, let us make much of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
If we would like our children to avoid that future, let us make much of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we would like to stand before the Lord Jesus in future glory <coughs> and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, let us make much of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we would like sinners to be converted and become saints, no longer blaspheming God, but worshiping God, let us make much of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let us believe that the word of God is the power of God to salvation. Let us believe that Pharisees and Sadducees and Roman centurions who officiate over the crucifixion of Jesus, all can be saved. There's no sinner so caught up in sin, so enslaved that the grace of God cannot rescue them. And the word of God is the power of God to salvation. Oh, that we would unleash it in the earth. So they, verse 18, called them and commanded them not to speak at all or to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old in whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all the chiefs, chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Psalm 2. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. God is sovereign over all. Now, Lord, look on their threats. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Is this your prayer? Pray it for yourself, saints. If you'll not pray it for yourselves, pray it for me. Pray it for pastors. Pray it for elders. Pray it for missionaries. Pray it for evangelists. Pray it for Mike Stockwell and Robert Gray. Pray it for the 116 Fellowship. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The Lord was pleased to answer their prayer. Tarry here until you receive the Holy Spirit and you shall be my witnesses. They prayed, the Lord filled them with the Spirit and they were bold despite the circumstances. They did not any longer allow the circumstances going on around them in the material world to define for them what truth was. Once, by the grace of God, they got a hold of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, or rather the resurrection of Jesus Christ got a hold of them. That was the defining truth of all reality. And nothing that took place in this world could change that truth, could daunt that truth could interfere with their reasoning. They understood from then on 
that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And living in such a way caused the world to stand up and take notice, to marvel. And that generation of Christians turned the world upside down. They filled Jerusalem, the city that had murdered the Lord Jesus. They filled Jerusalem with the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They suffered for it. They died for it. And they heard, well done, good and faithful servant. And they're waiting for you and I in glory. They're waiting for others to enter in through those gates as champions of the faith. The question is, will we be those champions? Will we enter the halls of heaven as champions for Christ? Washed with the blood of the Lamb, saved by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ but having walked in the power of the Spirit as his witnesses with strength and courage and boldness, with an abundant entrance to heaven. The angels, excited about a champion, having returned. Now, praise God, every saint is washed in the blood, and every saint is a child of God, and every saint will be loved perfectly by God forever. But oh, that we would be champions. Oh, that we would live our one precious life for the glory of God and the redemption of sinners. Oh, that we would make much to do about the resurrected Savior. For those disciples, considered the cost, counted it, considered it worthy, fought a good fight to make what we have known as the Western world, ultimately. A Christianized world. A world where freedom and justice for all has prevailed and brought immeasurable, excuse me, quite measurable earthly blessings and kept us free to declare the immeasurable eternal blessings of Jesus Christ from sea to shining sea and around the globe. Praise God. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that changes everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this glorious truth, Lord. We thank you for this defining truth. We thank you for this reality that defines everything else. And we pray, Father, you would steal us against the lies of the devil and the lies of our own fickle hearts. That we would not allow any circumstance of this world to override this colossal truth. Up from the grave he arose. We pray it in his mighty matchless name, the name of Jesus. Amen.